Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And this is definitely the first time I'm doing this intro take. In this episode, John and I are going to get into the uh, the secret sauce, if you will. Uh, we're going to pull back the curtain and show you the secret of how you can win at hobbying. Well, the first trick is that you have to get the intro right in the first take. You see, John, uh, you could go to hell because I had a great <laughs> record. I had it messed up in intro sequence in like a year, year and a half. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, John and I wake up at the house yesterday to, uh, well, a, a first floor that had so much water that I almost needed a snorkel to go check the fridge for breakfast. And now I'm all sorts of distracted. I don't know what's happening. But uh, luckily John was here so we could put on our scuba suits and start pushing the water into the basement. So the house has not sunk quite yet, but I'd like to think my property value is nicer now that I got a houseboat. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Ayo. I am. My house is actually next to a lake. So, you know, maybe I'll call it a, an intentional water feature. Turn to frown upside down. But don't worry, y'all. Even though I, I don't know how to have a dry internal house, I do know how to win at hobbying, and we're going to unpack that in this episode. But before we can do that, first we've got to talk about hobby time and games played. Alright John, hobby time, what you been up to? Well, uh, I've had a very productive week. Uh, I... Put a ton of water inside of your house. Helped you. I mean, technically, you didn't put the water where it went. Uh, for uh, people out there, we John crashed with me Saturday night in my guest bedroom. And uh, I woke up Sunday morning, and it was like a peaceful, beautiful Sunday morning. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go downstairs, going to get coffee started. My wife's going to make some cinnamon rolls, and then I'll wake John up. And we're going to have a nice, relaxing Sunday. But as I was... At the top of the stairwell, I heard a suspicious right, like waterfall sound, and uh, nothing strikes primal fear quite like a waterfall sound in your house. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, my, my fridge has was just absolutely trying to turn my house into a swimming pool, and uh, while I appreciate its effort and gusto, I'd, I wished it wouldn't. Other than that, though, I did get a lot of like bullying in. For you to, to get you to do nights he still hasn't said yes but we are still trying yeah you, to be honest in john's fairness he has co-opted my wife into this bullying who she is now leveraging hard for me to buy these imperial knights as are some of our other friends so john's campaign of bullying and peer pressure is is going swimmingly uh <laughs> I have, uh, oh, God damn it. <laughs> it took you a second. It did. It's a solid second. I have a silver <laughs> tongue. I'm great at bullying. Uh, um, yeah, I will say, I, he might have actually had me. Like, a Saturday night, I before going to bed, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's look at what kits I would actually need to build the night variants I want, because they don't all have the same bits in them. 
And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just go ahead and buy me two medium nights and a box of little nights and we'll call this thing done. And then I woke up Saturday and was potentially facing down a $1,500 to $2,000 repair bill. And John, I gotta say, it it kind of threw a monkey wrench in your pressure plan. It did. Uh, but I can play the long game and it's fine. And until I make you succumb to the Imperial Night pressure, I'll continue working on my Trader Guard. Ooh. Which I have... I have made many more progress on i have four squads a heavy weapons team and a uh tank that i've been working on this week mm-hmm. and i have some painting to do on them and i completed a squad entirely and based and everything and a sentinel based and everything and started doing some work on two other tanks that were painted that i just need to finish weathering that's a lot of dudes yeah yeah i uh I don't know why I unlock a special, special skill whenever I'm painting just a horde of dudes. <laughs> uh, you you're good under crisis. I would imagine is the answer. I think it's that I it when I have to paint a large amount of dudes, I focus less on the small details, and so I end up being okay with not being perfect because they all just kind of look the same when they're all on the table together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to get so into the nitty-gritty to make them all look good. Because if there's 300 guys, who's who's going to notice that that one dude's pants aren't painted? Uh, Seth. Seth will. Yeah. Won't you, Seth? It's true. He will. It's why he's the editor. He has yes. the details. He has an eye for detail. And I have uh, skills, painting skills for painting 200 clan rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's an impressive amount of work to paint up quickly uh did you do any of your crusade games i did i did a couple of trader guard crusade games versus seth and his eldar i lost both of them but very close mm-hmm. um in both games the only things that were left on the table was a farseer and a autark that's it just two characters uh Ooh. and in both of them, my Chaos Inquisitor ate shit. And in the second <laughs> game, it was at the first end of the first turn. Uh, it was very good. Narratively, it was very fun. So I'm going to be working on some more story beats with it. It was very enlightening, also, I should say. Mm-hmm. I mean, what about you? I feel bad for your Inquisitor, first off. <laughs> yeah, I'm the bad guy of the campaign. I win. Play, 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 play. Oh, no, I'm dead. <laughs> I mean, it happens. It happens. Uh, turns out T3, five wound heroes aren't all that tough. Yeah. They do die fairly easily, which is how it should be compared to, like, giant Tyranid abominations and orc stompas and stuff. I agree. Well, um, for me, hobbying has been going steadily over here, largely thanks to the... Uh, the narrative campaign, which has kept me moving. I have done a lot of 3D printing to get a whole Riptide ready to go to get put into my list expansion for next month's uh, set of games. And I've also printed up a a bunch of crisis suits, which I now need to build. Um, the Riptide is fully built, which took a full day. There were so many little parts. It's beautiful now that I have it together, but it was... It was it was an endeavor to get it together. Um, 
And I got that magnetized and primed. So now that's ready for paint. Um, also did some work on some orc lads to just break up a little bit of painting time and did a little test paint on using contrast through an airbrush on some lizard men that I 3D printed. That was cool. And uh, now looking forward, I think it's back to Tau Town just so I can get ready for the next expansion. Which, for me, luckily, will be far, far fewer models than Stage 1. I, I think I'm going to be painting four models for this expansion? Maybe five? Ew. Yeah, but they're larger ones. Kind well, of. Like, it is three medium-sized ones, and then one big dude. And I'll have to look at how the points changed from the... Uh, the balance sheet update, but I might be able to fit in an ethereal as well. So like one little foot dude in there, but he won't take no time. But uh, I'm very excited to get that big old Riptide robot on the table and fighting people. Um, and I did get some of my fighting in. I had a uh, narrative battle against uh, our buddy Travis. He's playing his Black Templar for the campaign, and uh, him and I went toe-to-toe -to -toe with, you know, his faith and fury against my science and technology, and uh, it was not a great day for the theocracy. Oh, uh, uh, yeah? Yeah. It, 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 I mean, we rolled random everything, as we do for all of the narrative games, uh, and it was a sort of deployment map that... Gave him a lot of cover, so I actually thought he was going to do pretty well. But he just had a real rough time on rolling saves for one or two key rolls. And that pretty much put him on the back foot initially and then kept him there. Um, you know, I deploy, he deploys, everything he has is in cover, which is definitely, like, the move. Um... And he's got that new Space Marine Armor of Contempt rule, which gave him even more tankiness, which was also great. And then, so, like, he used that, and he moved up the board. Again, all in cover, very tactical movement, made the right decisions. He was on a very high, like, two-up save almost the entire game. I think a three-up at worst, with all of his rend negation and stuff. It was impressive. Um... But he got unlucky, and he had to take first turn <laughs> and moved up, still in cover, but closer to me. And uh, then my guys kind of looked at everyone, went pew, 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 and obliterated things. Um, my first shot was a group of ten regular fire warriors, just the little foot troops, the regular infantry foot troops. Just for fun, I... Thought, oh, I'll shoot his, like, forward hero first, his chaplain. Um, surely this might get a wound or two. And then the chaplain rolled a bajillion ones. I mean, it was, it was sad. I think he rolled, like, five or six ones. No, he has six wounds, so he had to have rolled six ones. And that's a... opening volley. And that's extra worse in a 500 like point game like oh, it's yeah. just very rolling a handful of bad dice in the very beginning of a small game like 25 power level just ugh, so bad yeah it's it was severely unlikely 
And I used like a stratagem or two to try to make it a little worse for him. I think I was that was the time I was able to get him to a three up with like a bunch of CP. But still, like he rolled a vast, a vast field of ones and twos. And on my first shoot, his guy died immediately to foot troops. Uh, and then left the rest of his army open. And that was after his chaplain failed all of his prayers. With rerolls. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, he had re-rollable prayers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he's gonna get some of these off. He's gonna get like his five up, feel no pains and stuff. This is gonna be a great time. And he the dice were just not with him. Um And then for the rest of the game, his rolls were actually good, if not great. I mean, his blade guard veterans were on a two up save. All the time. They ate 60 to 80 shots. Oof. But it just wasn't enough when you take that bad of a sort of momentum shift right off the bat. Um, and he just got blown away. Because his front dude, who he got really close, didn't make it. And uh, it was a great victory for the greater good. Uh, however, we still had fun. When you're playing against a friend, we just... We were both so flabbergasted by the role that it was entertaining. Um, he probably giggled more than I did because the statistics were just wonky. But what are you going to do? Um, and then narratively, his leader saw what was happening and hightailed it out of there. So he's, he's still alive, even if the rest of his dudes were badly, badly filled with holes. But uh, it was a great time, regardless. And uh, now, I only have one more narrative game for our first round. I have to fight Lucas. Uh, we were saving that for last because Lucas lives closer to me than everybody else does in the campaign. Um, so it's easy for us to get a game in when my house isn't full of water. Um, so I have one more of those to go, and then we'll be ready to roll into the next point level next month. Which uh, I think is going to be a blast. Other than that, I think we're ready for the main topic, John. Seth. Let's get into it. Play the music. All righty, John. Um, main topic time. I'm going to let yeah. you share the secret sauce because, you know, it is the secret sauce. John, how do I win at hobbying? You, you don't? What? John, I feel misled. I, as a viewer, fully thought that I would be able to win at this hobby portion of the game where there is objectively no winners or losers. Yeah. What do you mean by that, John? Well, what I mean is that the concept of fulfillment and winning is what you make it. John, this is not a philosophy 101 class. What are it you is... saying these words to me? I, I am saying that there are different levels. And that, like, for instance, we will talk at some point in this episode about what is winning for me and how it is different from winning for you. Well, I guess that is a reasoned and well-worded response, but I still don't like it because nuance is bad. How am I going to clickbait uh, that title? Well, I mean, well, actually, I kind of know how to clickbait that title. Never mind. Um, yeah, but <laughs> or you could alternatively just eat shit. I mean, there is that as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I don't think anyone out there is actually surprised. Y'all, you can't win at hobbying. You, you, yeah, you just can't. 
Like, you, you can't. There are some channels. I will say there are not many. I think most people who make content are very honest about it. But there are some who kind of give you, like, you know, the one way to level up your painting and to win on the hobby table. But, like, you just can't. Because it's so subjective. By nature of the question, it is terribly uh, individualistic and subjective. Because, I mean, we all kind of have different goals going in. Which in and of itself is going to make that varied. Um, and, like, your goal might be to win a painting competition, but that doesn't mean that you're winning hobbying if you win that. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, yeah, most I mean, of us aren't going to paint Golden Demon level anyways, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, if you win at Golden Demon, but you perhaps pursue it in a way that you hated, and so much so that it took the fun out of it for you when you accomplished it, you accomplished a goal, but did you really win at the hobby? Or, like, did you win if you had to sacrifice a bunch of other responsibilities you had going? Um, you know, whatever. There's a difference there. And there is no way to outright win at the hobby. But I do think there is one key aspect that, if you are mindful about, can help you get closer to, you know... An unsubjective, a, well, I'm sorry, a very subjective win, quote unquote. Uh, and that's kind of considering hobby cadence. Because I don't want to lead this discussion just talking about painting or building or diorama making or basing or making, you know, plinths for display models or sculpting or playing or anything like that because I mean, let's be honest this hobby has like a million sub aspects of it yeah and also it's an audio format so yeah i mean there is that There's, yikes we are disembodied voices um but for all of those things and using the neutral hobby term cadence is the thing that kind of ties them all so when you're thinking about how to win. Really what you want to try to figure out is what what cadence of hobby works for you in your very particular life situation and your own goals. So what do we mean by cadence? What I really mean by that is how often can you engage in the hobby in whatever way you like? And not only how often, but when you do get to engage, how long are those sessions? You know, are are you picking stuff up once a week for maybe 10 minutes at a time? Are you hobbying every day for five hours at a time? Are some mix in between? You know, what are you doing to do the thing that you like? And like, on top of that, the cadence can be, do you alternate forces at, a, at certain intervals? Do you just go where your heart takes you? Do you have to like do palate cleansers in between things? Or are you the kind of person who does one thing and that's the thing you want to paint and you just keep growing that? Yeah, or are you hopping between the hobby aspects I mentioned? Are you always just painting? Or are you breaking it up with painting and building? And then a little bit of basing in between? And then some gaming to refill your energy? Like what, you know, 
there's a whole lot of aspects to this, which is why we wanted to kind of be vague. Because if we tried to drill down on any one thing, we'd get lost in the weeds very quickly and lose the big picture of what we're hoping people can take away from this. And really, it's that the key is that you're going to find that your life responsibilities are going to dictate a whole lot of how much time you could spend hobbying. If you work, you know, 100 hours a week, it's going to change things for you. If you have, you know, five people who depend on you to take care of them, that's going to change things for you. If you maybe have other activities that you like doing or have to do, that's going to change things for you. Is this a primary hobby for you, or is it like a secondary or tertiary hobby for you? Mm Mm-hmm. Or just, like, how much disposable hobby income you have could also change some of this, depending on what aspects you're into. So, I think that's kind of the key, is that the first thing you have to do to find your cadence is to look at all of these factors... And then to also not look at anyone else's factors. Like <laughs> you, When you are trying to think about what hobby cadence works for you, what I really recommend is you solely base it on what your situation allows for and you can do comfortably. Don't compare it to like YouTubers who could do it more or pro painters who could do it more or you know people who do it full time who could do it more. What works for you and yours, I think, is the first thing. And then second is, once you do kind of find the cadence and you have figured out the amount of time that you can hobby, do everything that you can to use that time to relax and have fun. And I want to leave that very open-ended. Uh, Because really, at the end of the day, we are saying that you're trying to hobby. And for most of us, hobbies are a thing we do specifically for those two purposes. To relax and have a good time. Um, And I think that one's important because if you don't keep those things primary in focus, sometimes your allotted hobby time can become a stressful time. And your cadence becomes a little too rapid for what your brain wants to do. And you could kind of rain on your own parade. Yeah, I think that it's, it's really easy to burn yourself out when you, when you lose focus on this is supposed to be fun and engaging and fulfilling. This is not a, a obligation. Like, it is still a hobby. Unless you're like painting an army for someone that is paying you or maybe you have an event coming up in which you have turned it into an obligation, the vast majority of this hobby is just doing it because it's fun. And if you Mm -hmm. guilt trip yourself the whole time, you will end up burning yourself out. And it's not a good time. I've done it. That's why I ended up taking like um, like, like three to six month break from doing all hobbying because I like guilt tripped myself into like burning myself out real quick. Oh yeah. Nothing will rain on that parade faster than self-imposed guilt over little plastic toys. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh no, I don't like it anymore. But then like, (laughs) Three to six months later, you didn't apply it anymore, and you go back to yada, yada, yada. It's like that uh, meme of the kid riding his bicycle down the street and then sticking a, a stick in his own spokes. 
and crashing his own bike. I mean, that's essentially what you do when you turn it into an obligation for no discernible reason. You said that, but I just imagined, like, <laughs> the Emperor going, I'm going to take over the whole galaxy, and the stick is just saying, being a bad dad, and shoves it in the spokes. <laughs> uh I mean, I'm just saying, two parenting books could have saved us a whole lot of trouble. If, if okay, if Big E would have just read Chicken Soup for the Soul, uh, he he would have been all right. If he would have just learned to give a couple of hugs, I think we could have saved ourselves like three gazillion deaths. But no, here we are, because of daddy issues, watching everything end in the 41st millennium. Womp womp womp. <laughs> but back yeah. to the cadence of hobbying like <laughs> it's a hard transition to make there john i appreciate your leap listen i am nothing if awkward uh the <laughs> michael jordan on steroids couldn't have made that jump yeah but the the, the cadence of hobbying is something that at least i've been thinking about a lot recently because i have I have started getting that weird thought back of like, oh, I'm not painting enough. Like, I'm just not, I'm not doing enough. I keep doing the yada, yada, yada. And it has helped to remind myself, and maybe it'll help some listeners out there, to just go, no, it's supposed to be fun. Like, oh no, you only painted five guardsmen in a night. Okay, yeah, but you painted five guardsmen in a night. Like, did you, did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, but it's fine. Oh, well. You'll paint more the next day, right? And instead turn that like, oh, I didn't paint enough into energy of, but I can paint more later. I'm glad I painted what I did. Instead of, well, next time you need to paint 10. Well, like maybe the next time I still only paint five, but I still had a good time. So it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, I felt a little bit of that myself with the narrative games. Because, like, you know, we have a designated schedule in which we're ramping up our points to try to hit a sort of, like, Joe HammerCon uh, date that we're shooting for. And uh, because of that, I'm under a little bit of pressure to try to paint things at a certain pace. John's in the same boat. All of us are. Um, except for Lucas, who painted all of his stuff before we ever talked about Crusade. Impeccably, if I might add. I yeah, see you, beautifully. Lucas. The madman. The absolute madman. I see. Just looking at his crystal ball and he knew it was coming. Um, yeah, it, it, it's put a little bit of pressure on. And most of that pressure is nice. It's fun to create. But I'm starting to feel it because, you know, I have to write the narratives for my gaming. And then, it, which took a while to write the 20-page short story. But you uh, didn't have to write the 20-page short story, Joe. I, but I did it, John. I done did it. <laughs> it's done been did. Done been did. Um, and also, I have now started to write stuff for narrative content for the channel. Uh, and I've got a, life, a lot of life stuff going on at the same time. And now I also have to build and paint to get ready for the next rollover. Uh, while also being the one to try to like schedule a lot of the games. So... You know, it's just a lot on the plate, and uh, I have felt the pressure. But at some point, you just sort of got to pull the release valve and go, you know, some of that can move. Like, you, you don't have to make this painful. 
Yeah, because like I would hate to ruin a good time painting a big old robot for nothing. Like yeah, and I no think it's also important to remember that you don't have to stick to the schedule, right? Like you mm-hmm. can always just pick it back up later. Like you can be like, man, no, I'm supposed to paint this robot today, and I've been telling myself for a week I'm gonna paint this robot today, but like I'm exhausted and tired. They ran out of fajitas at the at the restaurant. I can't have no fajitas. Uh, I just want to play a big robot game. It's okay to just play the big robot game. Like, y'all, don't make yourself paint the thing you don't want to, because then you're going to hate the thing, right? So that's the other part of Caden, the cadence of hobbying, is knowing when to break your own rules. Uh. <laughs> yeah, flexibility is key, which we're going to get to in here in a second when we explain how we win at hobby. Um, but spoiler alert, being flexible is part of that equation. Uh, so, John, for you, how what sort of cadence lets you win at hobbying? Like, what factors go into how you plan out your uh, sort of your hobby journey on a time map? All right. So, I try to break mine into months and then weeks, right, instead of days. Uh, that works best for me because I generally know roughly when we'll be doing that month. Mm-hmm. Like some things pop up here and there, but for the most part, my months are planned out. I try to at least, or at least plan a couple of weeks ahead of time. And so I'll have this plan to paint at least one day in a week for a few hours, whether mm-hmm. it's work, a weekday, whether it's on the weekend or like on a Sunday, I will try to paint specifically paint a, a one day out of a week. And then, because that's the hardest thing for me to sit down and get myself to do, right? It's the paint part. Like, I'll sit down and do 3D printing stuff all the time. I'll sit down and build plastic models all the time. I'll sit down and, like, write narrative stuff or build lists. Like, all of that kind of stuff. It's, you know, ter- like, the different parts of hobby, I will just sit down and do all the time. Painting is something I kind of have to make myself do sometimes. And then once I pick up the brush, I'm having a great time. Mm-hmm. But I try to do it once a week. Sometimes I end up doing it more. Sometimes I end up doing it not at all. Uh. I will say that I, by switching to a week, at least a week, once a week, I have missed fewer and fewer weeks as I've gone along because I'm not setting too high of an expectation for myself. I'm allowing myself some breathing room because like there's stuff that goes on in life. We all have stuff that goes on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I go to sit down and paint, I pick generally a thing I'm going to work on all that month. Uh, I try to get it done by the end of the month, but I don't give myself a hard time if I don't because it can roll over to the next month. Then I've just picked my topic for the next month that I'm going to be, you know, painting or building or yada, yada, yada. There's that flexibility. Yeah. And what helps me, though, is if I know I'm about to make a hard shift, right? Like if I know I'm about to go from painting fantasy to sci-fi, I'm going to go find myself, now that I have a 3D printer, something that's a little bit in between, Right. Maybe like a cyberpunk samurai or something. I was just thinking cyber samurai. Yeah. And I will print that and then paint it for myself. Or maybe I'll give it to somebody as like a little treat. And that is like a palate cleanser for me to get me back into that mindset. Like a, like a transitional piece almost. That's, mm-hmm. And I've really enjoyed doing that with 3D printing. Like don't get me wrong. I love 3D printing like proxy models and bits and like terrain pieces but I also really like printing things that I probably wouldn't have just gone out and purchased like I wouldn't just go buy a model just to paint but I'll print mm-hmm. one you know and uh, that's really helped me with my cadence 
to make me feel like I'm winning. And it's made me feel like I'm growing, right? Like, I will now build forces or build or pick models to paint as palette cleansers where I try a technique out that I haven't tried yet. Because I've yeah, built this kind that's of a cadence to follow. And it's it's very handy. It's very useful. Yeah, I think that's nifty. And it mirrors some of my own. Um, however, as we mentioned before, time allocations are different and schedules are different. Um, so for me, my cadence, my goal is that I want to do a little bit of hobby every day if possible. And I try not to pin myself down too hard on what that means. Because in the past, what I, my brain really went was, well, if you're not painting, you're not really getting any progress. And uh, that's, I know objectively, that's not true. So I've worked really hard to broaden my horizon for what I mean by hobbying. But I want to make a conscious effort to do a little bit of it every day. That might mean doing some 3D printing. That might mean building. That might mean clipping some bits. That might mean magnetizing. That might mean basing. That might mean priming and zenithal highlighting. That also might mean painting, uh, or it could mean playing the game. But as much as possible, I want to do just a little bit of hobby every day. And if I can get to actual painting, like in two-hour sessions, maybe three times a week, four times a week, holy cow, I'm having a great week. You know, there's just other stuff I have to do. I'm in tabletop games. I have housework I have to do. I have a full-time job. I got a wife that I also really want to spend time with. You know, it is hard for me to sit down and paint for like four hours a night. I just don't have that set up. So I set myself goals that are a little more obtainable. Um, and some weeks, I can do less. You know, I have really busy weeks. I might have more stuff going on. I might have outside family issues going on that I have to deal with. It's happened. I might be just having a rough mental week, which happens from time to time. And you just don't have the bandwidth for that. And that's okay. Because I also know that sometimes I have great weeks. I mean, I think we've all seen it happen. Your schedule just clears out in front of you. Everything that you had lined up that you weren't looking forward to doing and had to do anyway... All the chores and the housework and stuff. You either get time to do it earlier or the meetings just drop off your calendar. Or like that, sometimes you come home from work and with the anticipation of I'm going to have to do all these dishes and then the cook the dinner and then like change the laundry. And then you walk into the door and your partner has gone, I did the dishes, ordered a pizza and changed your laundry. And you go, holy fuck. <laughs> I can do, I got so much room for activities. <laughs> Lady, I love you. Um, I love you so good. Yeah, it happens. And when that happens, I know that just like how sometimes I have bad weeks, in that time, I'm going to have a great week. I'm going to paint for three hours a night for five nights out of the week. And I'm, you know, I'm going to do so much. I'm going to get so much done. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to have a bajillion progress pictures for Instagram. I'm then going to promptly forget to upload them. Um, but I have them. And for me, like in the end, it all comes out in the wash. I'm still hitting my hobby goals on average. Um, but I want to be flexible with my time because life changes. Uh, I, it is never going to stay constant. 
And also, I try to be flexible with what I'm working on. Because I have noticed that for me as a hobbyist, one of the challenges is that, you know, I'll start painting something for a while and I'll be having a really, really good time. And eventually, I don't know why, but my brain will go, you're done. And I'll ask it, what do you mean I'm done? And it'll go, you're done. You're done with sci-fi now. Fantasy time. What? Yep. We ain't even looked at fantasy. Why are you thinking about fantasy? Don't know. Fantasy time. Gotta paint fantasy. Same. Big mood. <laughs> and for a long time, I tried to fight it. But I lost terribly. So instead, I have made an accord with myself in the Great Brain Treaty of 2020 that as long as I am still painting models and hobbying and building and stuff, whatever, I'll let myself hop projects. It's fine. It's totally fine. Because if that's what keeps the sort of hobby train a rolling and I know it'll keep me steady without burning out, so be it. Totally fine. And then much like John, in the middle of the week, I try to stoke the fire where I can, even when I know I can't do actual hobby stuff. For example, while I'm at work, there are some times in my job where I have to, some times in my day where I have to do a repetitive, mindless task that has to get done, but I really, I could do it in my sleep at this point. And during those times, I try to turn on stuff that'll keep me thinking about my hobby. I might listen to lore videos in the background, maybe some updates on what's coming out in, you know, Games Workshop games, or Infinity, or Malifaux for new releases. Um, maybe an audiobook, just stuff to kind of keep it in my head, so that... When I do get to go home that evening and I get to pick what I'm going to do with my two hours of free time, I may be more likely to pick hobbying because I've primed myself to already think about it a little bit. And it helps, you know, keep me a little bit more engaged. Yeah, especially if you start feeling that tickle of like fantasy or the tickle of sci-fi back and like watching a video, especially like for me, if I am towards the end of a project and I want to get that project done before hopping genres, I will listen to a thing while hobbying of the other genre. So like if I am, mm-hmm. if I am like one unit away from finishing this project and I just need to finish this unit and then I can hop to like Lizardmen as an example, I can go, all right, I'm going to paint this squad of dudes and then I can go to Lizardmen. It's going to take me another two nights at two hours of time. I'm going to pick this four-hour-long Luton 09 video. And, <laughs> and Or uh, I'm going to pick this, like, playlist from 2 Plus Tough. I'm going to listen to that about Lizardmen while I paint this Guardsman squad the same way I've been painting them for a while, and then hop. Yeah, I do that all the time. Uh, I actually keep a repository of those videos, and I call them primers. So I could, if I feel the tickle and I want to paint another thing, I have stuff on hand for that faction. Uh, so I have a few videos for Tau that I haven't listened to yet for like lore stuff that are ready. I've got a few for Orcs. I've got a few for Imperial Knights. I've got some for Sylvaneth. Um, so that when I do start to make a hop, I've got them on Quick Draw in a playlist. Yo, and, Quick Draw. Yo, pew pew. And you know. I can use them to keep everything rolling forward so I don't come off the rails and crash. And I'm kind of curious if everyone else does this similarly. Or if maybe I'm just terribly neurodivergent and uh, I put way too much thought into this hobby system. 
which is why really for this episode i'd love to kick it off to the viewers and not just to like get engagement but i'm just honestly curious uh, for the people out there listening how do y'all sort of engage with hobbying and how do you guys come up with your winning sort of pace and strategy for staying at the hobby you know, how do you pick your topics? Do you hop between? Do you really have to think about it this much? Or do you just do it easily? I would genuinely be interested to know. Um, you can put it in YouTube comments. You can send it to us on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we're on there. I'd be very interested to hear these responses to see if maybe we're touching on something. Um, and if you know someone who's struggling with kind of finding the pace... Maybe send this video to them. It might help them out a little bit just to get a, a touching off point to start coming up with a strategy that works for them. And, you know, we'd love to be able to give them just a little bit of help with the episode so that maybe they could figure out exactly how to win for themselves. And as always, we appreciate y'all. Uh, you know, sharing the videos around and liking them really helps a lot because we're a small podcast. And, uh, you know, we appreciate y'all taking the time to do it, as we always do. Now... That's been all of our thoughts. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. I'm going to go paint traders. <laughs> See y'all on the next one.